So I hear people stole some food. You would better believe they stole some food. We have one of the most glorious food heists that I have ever come across. Mm. This is so cool. This happened just last week, December mm -hmm. 6th. So last week as of recording. I don't know when you get to see this, everyone else out there. In Australia. Uh-huh. Okay. Yes. There is a company mm -hmm. called the Gnocchi Brothers. Okay. That makes gnocchi, which is a that's potato dumpling pasta thing. Very surprising that's what they make. Yeah, I know. Isn't that mm -hmm. weird? Mm -hmm. You would think that that would be a false flag to mm -hmm. throw you off yeah. and trick you into buying kale or something. But no, they make gnocchi, and they make it centrally, and then they have their own trucks that go out and deliver it uh -huh. to their eight locations throughout the city. So while the delivery driver was carrying a box of gnocchi into the Gnocchi Gnocchi Brothers restaurant, somebody stole the truck. See, you with said you said that wrong. It's got to be the Gnocchi Brothers Gnocchi Restaurant. But it literally is called Gnocchi Gnocchi. Is that the name of it? I think it is. So yes. it's Gnocchi Gnocchi, the Gnocchi Brothers Gnocchi Gnocchi Restaurant? It is called Gnocchi Gnocchi Brothers Restaurant in okay. South Bank, Brisbane. So it's the Gnocchi Brothers Gnocchi Gnocchi Brothers Gnocchi Restaurant, right? <laughs> I believe that is correct. Okay. And if you think that's a lot of gnocchi, you are correct, because it was actually 33 thousand dollars worth of gnocchi in the truck in the truck that was stolen okay and you know along with the cost of the truck one assumes but they are unconcerned with that they are very concerned on the other hand about the gnocchi itself they're talking to one of the owners of the thing one of the actual gnocchi brothers Ooh. who says it's a shame for the gnocchi i really feel sorry for the poor gnocchi i know that sounds ridiculous but a lot of work went into making it I hope the truck is returned, but please, for God's sake, I pray they treat the gnocchi with care. Please don't throw it out. It's a beautiful, fresh gnocchi. <laughs> Sounds like this guy, first of all, has That's his priorities straight. The person I want making my gnocchi, right there. Yes. Yeah. It sounds like he thinks that maybe they were just trying to steal the truck, and they're like, what the crap is all this stuff in the back? But I think this was a daring and very deliberate mm -hmm. gnocchi heist. Someone has now $30,000 worth of contraband. potato pasta. Yoki, contraband yoki. Yeah. potato pasta gnocchi. It sounds like it's such good gnocchi, they wouldn't be able to sell it on the open market. They need like some secret buyer they like that need, buys yeah. the, the art contraband, mm -hmm. right? Because if they taste it, they'll know immediately, oh, yeah. this is the gnocchi brothers from their gnocchi gnocchi brothers gnocchi restaurant. Yes. Now we know... You know, so, I want this. They they need to be caught because they're obviously horrible people. But also, then we might get to see a judge have to say the Gnocchi Brothers, Gnocchi, Gnocchi Brothers, Gnocchi Restaurant in court proceedings. And that would just be, that would be perfect. That would be great. Mm -hmm. That's how they're going to identify the thief in the lineup. They're going to have five people there on the wall with the black lines behind mm -hmm. them. They're going to be like, uh, person number three, can you please say... Gnocchi Brothers, Gnocchi, Gnocchi Brothers, Gnocchi Restaurant. And if he can get through the whole thing without tripping up, they're like, that's our guy. They planned this. They had to say gnocchi. He knows gnocchi inside and out. Hundreds of times. Yeah. That actually, we have another food heist. You mm -hmm. said you have two. I do have two. Do you but want the other one right now? Here's or should the we... thing. We're going to be doing feedback. And isn't there a feedback exchange relating to heists and the planning of a heist? 
Oh, is there? Yes, I believe there is. Oh, so, man. Okay, we're going to... We have we have a very special feedback episode today where we are taking listener feedback from one specific from one listener. <laughs> so I've got a text thread here that is me and Brandon and Ben, the infamous Ben that we talk about all the time. And he just, every week, more or less, he listens to the episode and then he sends us a text like, why didn't you say this? Yep. But there's one where he talks about the heist. We talk about the heist, well, and I've he has to decide it. who we all are in, in oh, the yes. heist Oh, yeah, That's deep in there. Yes. Do you want me to find that one, or should we go through them all in order? Okay. That one will be a surprise when we that get one to will it. Just I could find it on delight. my phone because it was recent, but my phone is ordering us dinner. Okay. Not Gnocchi Brothers Not restaurant. Gnocchi, uh, Gnocchi Brothers yeah. Gnocchi, which is too bad. We would be ordering that, except A, it's in Brisbane, and B- it was all stolen. Yeah. So sad. Man, we almost admitted to stealing $30,000 worth of gnocchi. <laughs> We're having gnocchi for dinner. I mean, um, <laughs> some other kind of potato pasta. Okay, so just going back to the beginning of this text thread. And one of the things that we're going to do is we're not going to give any context for these. Yeah. We're going to try and figure out what the heck Ben was saying. Yeah, because it's not on, like he yeah. sends the text saying, re-episode seven. Yes. When you were discussing this thing, I think, he just sends us random stuff. So. Yeah, which, mm-hmm. you know, makes sense to us in context, but are not going to make sense yeah. to you or it, anyone else. It in, never in... makes sense to me in context. I'm just like, what are you talking about, Ben? <laughs> why Why are you referencing why Mexican Why are you food? telling us this? Yeah. Okay, so here's the first one I have. Mm-hmm. Good movies that are terrible adaptations that should have been mentioned. Rats of Nim, Secret of Nim, Howl's Moving Castle. Okay, so these are good movies that are terrible adaptations. See, and right off the bat, I disagree with them. Howl's Moving Castle is abysmal. I hate that movie. Do you? Terrible movie. I like that movie, but I like the first half a lot more than the second half, and the first half is the book, almost straight up. I don't know how you know which half is which because somewhere... Mm-hmm. There is a TV that is still playing that movie that I tried to watch, what is now probably five years ago. Have you read the book? Are you a uh, no, Diana Wynne Jones I have read fan? the book. And I like the book. I actually use the book when I teach my first pages class because its first page is brilliant. Yes. I thought the movie was so slow and boring. I wanted to mm. gouge out my own sign I felt that the first half was a, a nice recreation of what happened in the book. Mm. I felt like it's not a scene by scene, but it's felt pretty close. And then Miyazaki's like, there's not a anti-war metaphor in here yet. We need to be in. And then whoosh, uh, <laughs> off it goes. But I cannot accept Miyazaki making a bad movie. Just mentally, the visuals are so stunning <laughs> and so interesting that I can't be bored like, I would think that my neighbor Totoro would be boring, but his visuals are enough that I'm interested even mm. in that, which is the one I consider the most boring. Yeah. Well, so. and we've had that conversation before. Mm-hmm. I do think he's right about Secret of Nim. Yeah. I haven't read the original book, so I well, don't know. it does not have magic in it. So okay. that's the big, <laughs> I think, screw up that they made. This was Don Bluth Company. I, I think it was. Yeah. The thing is, the book's... While ostensibly for children, are very not so much political as sociological. Okay. It is let's take these super intelligent rats and watch them try to build a society 
you know, parallel to and parasitic on our own. Okay. And see the ways in which they get things right and the way in which they get things wrong. And then Don Bluth made the movie and was like, you know what we need is some magic. And so instead of being like kind of the driving plot of both book and movie mm-hmm. is we need to move this cinder block. Yes. Where the mouse has all her babies mm-hmm. because the tractor's going to destroy it when it mm-hmm. plows the field. Yeah. And in the book, it is this big kind of, like I said, sociological thing about we all working together can, you know, reverse engineer some human technology that will allow us to lift this up and move it out of the way and blah, blah, blah. That and sounds the, really cool. It's it's mm-hmm. very cool. I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And the movie is like, there's an old mouse who's a wizard and he's just going to do it himself. Mm-hmm. So it keeps the fun visual stuff mm-hmm. of look, here are rats who act like people. Right. And then throws away arguably the whole message and purpose of the book. I feel bad for Don Bluth. Have we talked Don Bluth before? Mm-hmm. I feel bad for Don Bluth. Just that... I think Disney needed a legitimate rival, mm-hmm. and he was poised to be that. And when it feels like, I could be wrong, but it feels like when he had Spielberg helping, Don Bluth's natural, whimsical, and beautiful sense of styling could be contained into a Spielbergian plot with characters, payoff, and acts, and all of mm-hmm. that stuff. And... When that happened, you end up with an American tale, right? Yeah. And when that didn't happen, you ended up with like, what's that one? The Thumbelina, which is just insane. Yeah. Right? And he's one of those people. I'm like, if you could accept not having to be everything, right? This is kind of a Shyamalan problem, right? If you could accept not having to be writer, director, producer and you could have a really great script and use your natural talents paired with it mm-hmm. you could create these yeah consistently genius masterpieces where you end up with a Don Bluth or a Shyamalan do you know how to say his name is is Shyamalan correct? I have always said it the way you said it first yes. Shyamalan. Shyamalan I I've don't heard, know if that's correct though I've heard a lot of people say it that way but I'm not sure if I am saying yeah. it right either way my feeling is from both of them you get inconsistent genius mm-hmm. and a whole lot of it just didn't come together and yeah. then occasional just what were you thinking yeah right well and i do want to give don bluth credit mm-hmm. because he did serve that role yes. as vital disney competition right during the time that disney most needed it yes during mm-hmm. the absolute doldrum garbage of like the 80s when right. disney was cranking out crap Mm-hmm. I mean, I love The Black Cauldron. Right. But it's a bad movie. That's Don Bluth, too. Well, yes, but... <laughs> yes. <laughs> he he left, and then he started making, yes. like, American Tale. He did. And then, because he was Land able to... Time in American Tale with Spielberg, I believe. If I'm wrong, yeah. let me know in the comments. When he left, because mm-hmm. he was no longer beholden to Eisner and some of the kind of grandfathered... Right. Traditions that mm-hmm. kept them very hidebound. Actually, Tim Burton was in the same group. He was yes. Disney Animation, mm-hmm. left at the same time because he's like, we can't make good movies under this system. Yeah. So Don Bluth left and he made American Tale, did Land Before Time. And crucially, the thing that really scared Disney's mm-hmm. pants off was Anastasia. Mm. And But see, 
Anastasia, it's a good movie. Mm -hmm. But it is insane. I want to (laughs) shake Don Bluth and say, this movie did not need Rasputin in hell. And it definitely didn't need the stupid bat. And actually, the stage play is just superior in every way. I didn't know there was a stage Stage play. Stage play that just takes away all of that. And it's just like, Mm -hmm. you may have needed the rat to compete with Disney in the I Need an Animal Psychic. They were doing that. But Rasputin in hell? (laughs) In your princess movie? The nasty zombie Rasputin? Yes. There's also a stage version of Disney's Hunchback of Notre Dame, Uh which is apparently, by all accounts, incredible because it gets Mm. rid of the self-indulgent garbage. Anyway, Mm -hmm. Anastasia was really when Don Bluth just came into Disney's yard and started playing with Disney's toys. And they were like, we need to get our act together or we're going to get steamrolled. And that's when they had the Disney Renaissance really? with Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast. See, I thought Anastasia was after Disney Renaissance had begun. I don't think so. Producer Adam, what year is Anastasia? Oh man, if I'm wrong, I'm going to feel dumb. Mm. What year is Anastasia? My, I think you, I don't know. Maybe it was just American Tale in 1997. 97. 97. <laughs> You're right. Well Dang. into the Disney Renaissance. See, now your point is still good. That, mm-hmm. You know, him going in and playing with Disney's toys during the Renaissance is even a bigger accomplishment. Yeah. But he had had several of his major stinkers before that. Yeah. And so he's just really inconsistent. And I feel bad for him because I think there's legitimate genius, mm -hmm. right, going on. Like, I know that he didn't have as much to do with Dragon Slayer. Is that what's called? The video game. Oh, yeah. Space Ace and Dragon Mm -hmm. Slayer, as sometimes were promoted but, you know, his visual style was definitely all over those. And that was mm-hmm. part of what made those things work was that visual style. And, like, legit genius. Yeah. But Well, and just to salvage some of my point, even though I got the timeline wrong, yeah, 97 for Anastasia mm-hmm. makes it the direct competition of things like Emperor's New Groove was turning into. Yes. When they was, realized, yeah. oh, this is overblown and terrible. And that's... Really, when Disney animation had to rebuild itself a That's second when time, the, the, the Renaissance was dying. Mm-hmm. Um, was right around then. So everything was big and yep. overblown, mm-hmm. and yep. All right, okay. there you go. Tangent number one from Ben, inspired by Ben. <laughs> this one says also a thing about Starship Troopers. I remember <laughs> it being marketed not as aliens, but more as an R-rated ID four. Hmm. And in hindsight, I actually don't know, and maybe this is something Adam can look up. I do think it came out around the time of Independence Day. Did it? No, I think it's- Or was it I much earlier? No, I think it's later. Later? I, but not that far later. I'm going to guess Starship Troopers is like 96 or 97 again, because when-, when well, I mean, Independence Day was 96. I feel like Independence Day was 95. No, um, because Independence Day 96. came out the okay. summer I left on my mission. Okay, so yeah. And I wanted to see it. I waited two years before mm-hmm. I could finally come home and see it. And I was like, oh, okay. this is not as good as I had built it up in my head. On I the other hand- it, but Men in Black Men in Black, the same that time. was the same one. Yeah. And I'm like, I knew nothing about this. Oh, yeah? I actually came home because- People who don't know, serving an LDS mission, you're actually not allowed to watch TV and movies and stuff like that. Yeah, in most Uh, cases. So when I came home, I basically, first night I was home and could do whatever I want, I told my dad that we needed to Mm -hmm. go to Blockbuster, and we picked up Independence Day, Men in Black, and Fifth Element. 
and I loved them all, mm-hmm. but it was very clear which was the the least of the three. See, I actually did the same thing because the reason I have trouble placing mm-hmm. this is I was also on my mission when those came out. And I want to say there was a third one for me that was like Small Soldiers or something like that. Oh. That was just nowhere in the caliber of yeah. the other ones. And I went out a year before you and got back a year before. Mm-hmm. So Fifth Element came out when I was back. I believe. Oh, okay. I could be wrong, but I believe it was. But yeah, I can remember watching those three and be like, wow, one of those was amazing. One was pretty good. And one was Small Soldiers, which, as I recall, was made by somebody that whose films I normally like. It was like Spielberg, wasn't it? Yeah. So I don't think it was Spielberg. He was attached to it, I want to say. I feel like there was a whole lot of talent involved in this movie that I, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. We did not know what we were in for in Roland Emmerich movies after being like, wow, Independence Day was pretty decent. Independence Day actually worked. And Mm -hmm. it makes a lot of sense to me that Starship Troopers, even though it is not anything like Independence Day, that a studio would look at it and go, oh, I know exactly who to try to sell this to. Yeah, well, I mean, Independence Day was one of those business warping movies that for Mm -hmm. whatever reason, when it came out, Everyone wanted to be that. And it might be that, you know, you were able to have a whole cast of different stars in the kind of old classic Hollywood way, making Mm -hmm. a big epic that tells a lot of little stories with the backdrop of a huge disaster. Whatever that was, Hollywood's like, we must make more of these. Everything must be Independence Day, which that's Mm -hmm. another thing. Why is it so hard to make a Men in Black movie? A Men in Black movie? Yeah. Like Men in Black movies... One is amazing, right? Mm-hmm. One of my favorite movies of all time. Three is good. I actually really uh, like yeah. three. Three is legit good. Two is bad and the international is bad. So why are they only 50-50 on what seems like a slam dunk easy premise? Well, in even three, mm-hmm. which I genuinely love, mm-hmm. a lot of why I love it is Josh Brolin doing yeah. a pitch perfect yeah, Tommy Lee impersonation Jones. of Tommy Lee yeah. Jones. The story doesn't hold up as well. No, I mean, they're trying to do the whole time travel, night mm-hmm. watch, Terry Pratchett, that sort of story. Yeah. And it works mostly. But the problem with that one is that whole story is not really what this premise that should be so easy is. Some alien thing is happening. We send the buddy cops who don't yeah. get along that well to investigate them and you laugh. Well, part of the problem is that the first Men in Black had mm. two really solid emotional through lines yes. that got closed at the end. You yes. couldn't do Rookie Will Smith a second time. Nope. And you couldn't do Tommy Lee Jones misses his love and is retiring yes. mm-hmm. a second time. And that gives you not only a really solid shape to your movie, mm-hmm. but a really powerful emotional core right. to the movie. Which is why that movie is so good. Yeah. And all of my favorite movies do that, right? Emotional core with great plot. Mm-hmm. And also the other big strength, if we were going to give three pillars to the mm-hmm. stool of the movie, the guy in the Egger suit, that's the best villain of any of them. Yes. And that is all basically just makeup effects and... D'Onofrio, it's Vincent D'Onofrio, isn't it? I believe so. Uh, just kind of staggering around, looking like he doesn't know I mean, how a body works. Genius. Very little dialogue. Yeah. But one of the most incredible physical performances I've mm-hmm. ever seen. Yeah. And that was some some Buster Keaton level. Yeah. And then you compare that to the completely forgettable villain of the second movie. Mm-hmm. And I actually don't remember the villain of the third movie either. Right. 
right? Josh Brolin is stealing that show. But Josh Brolin and Bill Hader as what's his name? The artist? Yeah. The Campbell Soup guy? Yes. That was a quick cameo, but it mm-hmm. was... That was good. It was delicious. But this should not be so hard to do. I just really feel it shouldn't be that hard to do. They should be able to make consistent, okay to good versions of that. Mm-hmm. Just like you can do the Marvel formula, consistent, okay, over and over again and make enjoyable movies and occasionally stray into genius. But, you know, they can't even do that with those movies. And it's baffling to well, me. Well, see, I was about to say, well, let's try to come up with a quick pitch for mm-hmm. a good Men in Black movie. And then I realized... So much of it is going to depend on the actors that you get. Right. You know, people like D'Onofrio doing a virtuoso Mm -hmm. physical performance. People like the absolutely perfect interplay between the young rookie Will Smith Mm. and the old grizzled retiring Tommy Lee Jones. You know, we can come up on paper with something that fits, but cast incorrectly, that's not going to work. That's a very good point, Sal. This might just be, we're like, it's really easy to tell a story like this. We've done it a bunch of times, but there's an aspect to these that we just cannot Mm -hmm. control for because casting is not something we have to do in our books. Yeah. Oh, well. Okay, do you want another critique here? Yeah, let's get another Ben comment. Okay. These so far have been very interesting in that we're not that interested in what Ben says, but we are interested in talking about something tangential to what Ben has brought up. Okay, this one's great because I genuinely don't know what it's in reference to. (laughs) says... Dan mentions he keeps a vial of the blood of his enemies, and Brandon doesn't even ask who those enemies are? That could have been such a great setup. <laughs> you know, I a lot of these... That's him pitching sequels yeah, to our movie. Are Ben complaining about jokes that we missed or mm-hmm. through lines? I wonder why you have vials of blood of your enemies. I don't remember saying that. Who would your enemies be who that you would have vials of blood? Who would my enemies be that I have vi- at William Carlos Williams. Okay. Poet. I've got his blood somewhere. Okay. <laughs> I, I don't actually hate William Carlos Williams poetry as much as I claim to. Mm-hmm. At this point, it's mostly just a thing that I do because it's funny to me. What do you think about the dead Dubliners, Finnegan's Wake? Um, James Joyce? James Joyce. I have actually never read a James Joyce book. How did you get through high school and college <laughs> as an English major? Do they assign James Joyce to high school I got students? assigned James Joyce all the time in high school. Oh, boy. Yeah, I don't know. Dubliners, like multiple years, there was a story out of Dubliners that we were assigned to read. Okay. I had to read The Dead twice, two different years. I don't know. I might have had to read a short story, mm-hmm. but I never had to read Finnegan's Wake. Well, Finnegan's Wake is not going to, but I got assigned Portrait of an Artist as a Young Man in high school. No, not um, that either. Really? Remember what year? Uh, that was senior year. Senior yeah. year? Mm-hmm. Senior it- year, I was doing American. No, I know that we did. I actually did senior English junior year because mm-hmm. of the weird accelerated program I was in. Okay. We did Grapes of Wrath that year, okay. which I didn't love. We did House of the Spirits by Isabel Allende, which is mm-hmm. like a top five book of all time for me. So I don't know what the theme was. Interesting. Okay. I yeah. don't know. No James Joyce, because James Joyce would be the one that I don't actually hate, but that I joke that I hate, <laughs> right? It's just, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't want to insult Irish pride by insulting James Joyce. James Joyce was a good writer. But at the same time, I feel like a lot of the things James Joyce did were like the early 1900s version of award bait uh, sort of stuff that you do intentionally to draw the attention of a certain crowd of people. And I don't know, it didn't work for me very well. 
Finnegan's Wake does not work for me. Let's just say. <laughs> Portrait of the Artist is better. I get what he was going for and can appreciate. Like it starts with a stream of consciousness as a child is like a baby. Like a child cannot connect coherent thoughts. And so it's just this stream of consciousness thing, which is a cool idea that is really hard to read. The one thing that has redeemed William Carlos Williams mm-hmm. for me, the reason that I can say I don't hate him as much as I claim to hate him mm-hmm. is I do think that the wheelbarrow turning into, or not the wheelbarrow, but the plums, the icebox, mm-hmm. turning into a Twitter meme, Yeah, that made it fun for me again. Okay. What about uh, 100 Years of Solitude? I like uh, 100 Marquez. Years of Solitude. Yeah. As magic realism goes... Mm-hmm. A Very Old Man with Enormous Wings is one of my favorite short stories. Mm-hmm. I really like 100 Years of Solitude, but Isabel Allende is my jam. Okay. And, you know, House of the Spirits is basically her just doing fan fiction of 100 Years of yeah, Solitude. Okay. Her later stuff is more herself rather than trying to pastiche this, this famous thing. It's still one of my favorite books ever. That's cool. All right. Okay. Here we go. That's not where I expected that uh, comment to send us. I know. I don't know. Anyway, here we go. All this talk of Magic the Gathering player types and not one mention of the, quote, well, my friends brought extra cards and want to play, so sure, I guess whatever guy. (laughs) (laughs) So Ben once asked me to make him a deck to play at work Mm because they were doing it in over lunches or things like that. And I never got around to doing it for him. I started to build him some really cool deck and I even Mm -hmm. bought some My Little Pony Pinkie Pie sleeves to sleeve it up in to give to him (laughs) and then never got around to finishing it. I'm sorry, Ben, for not delivering you your Pinkie Pie overpowered Magic the Gathering deck. I worked on it for a while, but then got sidetracked by other things. So, Okay, there's actually a a brief conversation Mm -hmm. here where I responded to him by saying, I don't think that's a demographic Wizards of the Coast is trying to cater to. Mm-hmm. And he says, not a demographic anyone cares about is the name of my next podcast. <laughs> uh, that's a pretty good one, Ben. You guys should, uh, if you haven't watched the, see, we don't have the live oh. from Minicon episodes up yet. And in those, you'll be able to see Ben. Yes. Ben, who doesn't and say he anything. just kind of sternly glares. Who comes and sits and glares at us. Okay, it will probably be up by the time this is up, though. Yes, okay. by the time this so is up, that's true. you might be able true. to see that. You'll be able uh, to see This them. conversation yeah. goes on. This is the point at which you chimed in and said, I can imagine it now. An entire podcast starring an engineer whinging about his weird author friends. And that is where we came up with the idea of a reaction podcast, a la The Talking Dead, that airs live on Wednesdays. After our show goes up, then we get the Brandon show where he like takes calls from listeners and gripes about all the stuff we didn't say. The Ben show, you mean? Yeah, the yeah, Ben show. The Ben show, yeah. It is often amusing for me to think of Ben, right? Because he fell in with us and that poor guy, right? Because he legit mm-hmm. is like his his degree is computer engineering. And right now he's, I think, code monkey-ish side, but- yeah. You know, he was he was part of that whole crowd, and then he got assigned to be your roommate freshman year, and we just consumed him, mm-hmm. and he is now part of this entire world of weird science fiction writers. See, he actually, we met a year prior. Oh, okay. Right, that's right. You told me at the, the yeah. camp, right? We went to a computer camp 
back when I was still flirting with the idea of earning a real living. Mm-hmm. And we were randomly assigned roommates at that point. That's it. Okay. And then for freshman year, we actually worked it out to be roommates on purpose. So he chose this life. He can't see. He was away he was it. already hooked by then. Like we, you know, this this happens. <laughs> Adam is kind of the same way, right? Adam was this like normal person living a normal life in trendy like downtown Salt Lake. And he married my sister who is a normal person who has fashion sense, has Mm -hmm. people skills, all of these things. But he didn't realize that he was getting sucked into this and that she was my sister. And she just managed to remain mostly pristine in some magical way that is only Jane. I and feel then, like I'm dragging her in a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, you've got her. <laughs> I mean, I, I often wonder how different my world would have been if I was not reading the Wheel of Time when I met her. Yeah. So, but now here you are. You mm-hmm. you you, you did NaNoWriMo this year. I did. You yeah. are a producer of a podcast and uh, doing visual effects and yeah. all of this stuff that... Things Boy, that I didn't even foresee two years ago. Yes. That's one of the... That's one for our uh, alternate... Dimensions, alternate yeah. realities episode. Where would Adam be today if he mm. had not read Wheel of Time and then met Jane? Okay, do you want one that I absolutely have no idea what it's a reference to? Oh, yeah, those are my favorite. It says, I watched that outro five times because I legitimately couldn't tell what was going on. <laughs> wow, I wonder what outro that I, was. I don't know which outro. Oh, man. We do some weird things on this podcast, so... Though most of the podcast is me signing pages. Have you seen the YouTube when people stop by and don't know why I'm signing these pages? And the comments we get Mm -hmm. that are like, that guy is so arrogant. He can't even talk to the other guy and have a normal conversation without sitting and signing his name on things as if, you know, I'm so entrenched. full of yourself. I am so entrenched in this thing that I don't see signing my name. I just see it as... But to a lot of people, I think signing books is a sign, a little bit of a sign of arrogance, right? Like, mm. I'm going to sign my book for you and things like that, I guess. I don't know. But we get Authors a, don't think of it in that way, I assure you. But we get a decent number, like, you know, not hundreds, but every now and then someone's like, why won't he pay attention to that other guy? Why is he, why is he sitting there and See, signing his name? I haven't seen those, but mm-hmm. I have seen several comments of people saying, wow. Brandon's so dedicated. Even while he's recording a podcast, he's doing other work. Mm-hmm. You know, while here I sit just drinking Coke like an idiot, not doing any other work. Fine. You're doing the, the hard work on the podcast of scrolling through. Scrolling through this thing. Also, I'm skipping over some of them and I'm leaving certain sentences out. And I know Ben is going to be like scrolling through the same conversation and I'm going to hear about all the things that I didn't say. Okay. Here's one that says, the best thing about the new outro is that it invites me to critique the podcast two thumbs way up. That's probably when we started doing, oh, man. how's that been? That's not how I expected him to respond to that. We may have failed. We may have failed. We may have failed because- but did you fail as badly as this next comment mm. where he says, Brandon just referred to his own sister as, quote, producer Adam's wife and single-handedly pushed back feminism by 20 years. <laughs> Yeah, that is that is pretty good fail. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jane is wonderful. She I told the Jane story, right, about going to my signing on this. Yeah, I've told that on the podcast before where she showed up and people were like, why are you here? You don't belong here. And she's like, I'm his brother. She makes an appearance in the Alcatraz books as the mm-hmm. royal fashion consultant. Mm-hmm. Yes. 
Yeah, so. I remember when we were all in college together, the one time that I met Jane way back then, Mm -hmm. I remember meeting her, and I don't remember what context both your sisters were there, and then they left, and then like all of your college friends were like, your sister's really cute. But she was like, what, six or seven years younger than any of us, so it didn't matter how cute she was. I have been in a room, we were, where was it? I was at something, it was at my house, and it was with a bunch of my nerd friends, and my sisters both visited, and Jordo, my brother, and I have a certain build and look to us, shall we say, that we are often mistaken for one another. And then our sisters walk in, and then talk to everyone, and chat, and leave, and multiple people in the room looked at me and said, what happened to you? (laughs) What went wrong with you? If that's your gene pool, what happened to you, Brandon? I'm like, well... What's going on here? Okay, so several episodes later, he says, the most ridiculous thing about this is that now I feel like I have to make funny comments and I've really set myself up to fail. Also, I don't even know if you have your phones right now. (laughs) I don't know in what context we got that. He's pretty good, though. Ben's actually a legitimate funny guy. He is a very funny guy. Yeah. So he is generally better when he's playing off of his weird friends and being that guy that's just like, I can't believe that I am stuck with these weirdos. And yet, as you pointed out, he does come to my writing group every week. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, yeah. he, he it's could not escape. like he's trapped against his will. But I remember when we were roommates after, you know, you got married and then he and I became roommates. Well, you were married before I met you, but eventually he and I ended up as roommates. And Ben has this like pristine museum-like room, Mm. right? His room is just like, he's a single guy living with three other guy roommates, right? You walk in his room, you're like, do you live in here? Or just like, the bed is always immaculately made, right? And Mm -hmm. looks exactly the same every day. And this is not me saying you shouldn't do this. It's just odd to me how like it's a level beyond being neat ben's room he's one of those people that's that's like you imagine he's vacuuming his keyboard after he types every time right this sort of thing (laughs) and anytime i would walk into his room he would look at me with this look that kind of said are you going to bring the mess with you or not like is your presence here going to corrupt my perfect room with your uh your normal bachelor tendencies don't touch anything. See, now, and when I was his roommate, mm-hmm. we just shared a room uh-huh. both years that we lived together. So it was my half looks like the slovenly artist half. Yes. And then there's the really nice. So we always put him closer to the door so mm-hmm. you wouldn't have to walk through my stuff to get to the clean <laughs> half of the room. Okay, here we go. This must be in reference to the alternate dimensions episode. Okay. He says, listening to both of you talk about becoming programmers is simultaneously awesome and deeply disconcerting. But now I'm a little sad we didn't all get a chance to become a group of elite hackers. And this is where we started going off on which hackers we got to be. Yep. You immediately claimed the mullet and the thick glasses. Yeah. I I feel like if I'm going to be one of the hackers, then mullet, thick glasses guy, I can do that, right? I can... Yeah. Well, and I think that you... Because you posted this Hacker Man gif. Yes. Is that a reference to something specific? Oh, man, you haven't seen Hacker Man? I have not seen Hacker Man. 
Because when you said mullet and thick glasses, and I'm thinking three mm-hmm. hackers, one with a mullet and thick glasses, I immediately thought of the lone gunman from X-Files. Yes. There, there's one of them So there I get too. to be the little toady guy. Yeah. You're yeah. the glasses guy, and then Ben's the good looking No, 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 no. This is Kung Fury. You're giving me a blank stare. No. How what? have you not seen Kung Fury? <laughs> because Dan. I, I don't. I'm busy. It's <laughs> like 15 minutes long. Well, it's a little longer than that. Kung Fury is, I swear I've talked about it on the Oh, we've uh, talked about it okay. so yeah, okay. much, and yeah. I just still haven't seen you it. still haven't seen it. Okay, we're going to no. we're gonna watch I, Kung I, Fury. I thought it was to... like a full movie. That's why I haven't watched it. It's like a half hour. Oh, okay. Um, they're well. trying to make a full movie, but Hackerman is from Kung Fury, okay. which is why. Well, okay. Yeah. I, for some reason, thought that someone had kickstarted a budget and made like an hour and a half parody movie. If they had. Which sounds insufferable to me. It would be amazing. <laughs> To be able to watch. Knowing that it is short, mm-hmm. I promise I will go look it up and watch it before we record next time. Okay. So, there you go. Mm-hmm. Next thing I find in the thread is you posting pictures. Wait, wait, wait. Of... You're going to skip us picking our hacker roles? Oh, that well, was see, we haven't lead. gotten to the hacker roles yet. You just posted a picture of young Robert Redford. And that's Ben. And saying that's, that's what you think of when you think of Ben. Well, I mean, if we're going to be hackers... Like, if we're going to be in some sort of thieving crew or team mm-hmm. or things like this, then Ben has to be the one that's going to go, like, actually not wear a Wookiee outfit and, you know, interact with people. So Yeah. So, let's see. Role-wise, I got nominated as the one who betrays or sells us out. Who nominated so you for that? Was that, was, that, that was Ben. That was Ben. Okay. And then... Uh, but you didn't you decide that you were Whistler? You were Dan uh, No, Aykroyd? I was Mother. Your Mother. Oh, yeah. Mother's Dan Aykroyd. Whistler's mm-hmm. the, yeah. Because if he's Robert Redford, then I'm Mother, and I guess you get to be Whistler? Yeah, I'm not a very good Whistler. Yeah. I'm I'm a visiting hacker from another group. <laughs> doing a, we're doing a, the visiting professor thing. It's just, you know, we're trading. Okay, and then I don't know what this is a reference to, but the one that we got today, so I mm-hmm. guess it was the episode that went up today. Yeah. Man, you guys missed a golden opportunity for a Korean-Mexican fusion cookbook. Maybe we were talking about Korean tacos? Talking about creating the intentionally blank cookbook. Oh, oh really? That's right, because we talked about how cookbooks are like the big genre in bookstores. That's right. That's how we would make money as writers is write a cookbook. Okay, I'm going to give a shout out here mm-hmm. to a website called Stella and Spice. Uh-huh. Stella and Spice. Stella is a Mexican-Korean blogger, chef, okay. person. Her website is incredible, and it is basically all Korean and Mexican food, and it's awesome. So... I got to have, uh, there's a nice Korean-Mexican fusion restaurant in Atlanta that Ben oh. McSweeney, one of our artists, does a mm-hmm. lot of uh, my concept art, does Shalon sketchbook pages, things like that. He took us to that was delightful. Um, so well, I enjoyed that. There we go. We I think try that. It is time for our second food heist. Time uh, for the second the, food heist. Yeah. You ready for this? This mm-hmm. is less of a specific identifiable heist. Mm-hmm. And this is more of a... Uh, kind of widespread problem. Okay. So what happened is in South Africa, mm-hmm. the hospitals are getting overwhelmed, you know, by COVID. And so in order to keep the hospitals as depopulated as possible so that there's enough room for the COVID patients, they banned alcohol in Johannesburg and several other cities. Wow. Because they didn't want to deal with the domestic violence, with the traffic mm-hmm. accidents, with all of the 
trauma that comes from all the alcohol. Mm -hmm. And what that created then was exactly what happened when the U.S. banned alcohol. It immediately spawned this massive like black market of people who are robbing liquor stores, who are robbing trucks. Criminal gangs are roving around and stealing and reselling alcohol all over the city. And so it's not a specific heist so much as now it is a lawless prohibition era right. gangland. In 2021. In 2021. That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wonder if it's been effective at all or if that crime causes more injuries because crime-related injuries and they just end up with the same or more. That's my guess. Mm -hmm. It has been interesting to read several articles on it because most of them focus on really what this exposes is the massive alcoholism problem in South Africa, Yeah, which people already knew was a problem, but now that they tried to ban it and it spawned this massive crime wave. When yeah. was prohibition in the US instituted? I want to say it was Depression era, right. like 30s. 30s? Was yeah. it? So yeah, because the roaring 20s, they would have had alcohol mm -hmm. and then it was like right after that. But it's amusing. It would be amusing to me if it was it was the 20s because it's been 100 years and the lesson isn't learned. Did you look it up? Uh, 1920 to 1933. 1920. So the Sweet. Roaring 20s did happen during mm -hmm. the Prohibition era. And so 100 years later, same lessons need to be learned again, I guess. History is repeating itself, which it tends to do. How's that, Ben? Thank you.